0: We're continuing in a study. We've been looking at the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. And in the introduction, he starts by speaking blessings over his listeners, literally saying, happy are you when this is the case. Blessed, happy in a way that goes beyond just the thin, superficial, circumstantial happiness, but soul, rest, and fulfillment for those that look like this and he begins to sketch out the good life the sort of life that in God's economy is worthy of being emulated the sort of life that we would say ah that truly is a blessed life touched of God and what we've been wrestling with together as a community is that it's not always what we would think it is it's not the way that we as a culture or we even in our own stories have sketched out the good life And so we are together slowing down and sitting at the feet of Jesus, the great teacher, and saying, we are willing to have our view of the good life reframed by by your wisdom, your insight. And so so we come time and again with this posture of, okay, teach me and share with me, what does it mean to live the good life? And this morning, we come to a, a beatitude that's a little bit different than some of the others if we think about it. We just heard it read, Blessed are the peacemakers, and it raises this this awareness that who's not for peace? There have been there've been several beatitudes that as we study them we go, Blessed are the meek, the bankrupt of soul, the impoverished of spirit, those who are mourning. Those are things that culturally we might go well yeah i haven't thought of that as the thing i want to be the person who understands what it really means to grieve and to mourn the person who really understands what it is to be bankrupt of soul but we come this morning we say "Blessed are the peacemakers and we go well isn't everybody for peace like we're all good for that there's the nobel peace prize we celebrate that We, we you know you're famous if you're about peace you're you're celebrated if you're about peace and we we realize that we're all peace lovers around here aren't we who does love peace? And one of the things I've been wrestling with while sitting with this passage this week is that I think we are all peace lovers, but we're not all peacemakers. I think Jesus is really particular in what he's talking about because peace loving is easy. It's kind of like um, a Lamborghini Countach. A Lamborghini Countach, like a historic kind of classic sports car, muscle car. Everybody... In one way or another, they might enjoy a ride in the Lamborghini Countach. They go, yeah, that seems like an enjoyable thing. I'm for that, to feel the roar and the power, maybe even to drive and sit behind the wheel. That would be quite an experience. I'm for that. There is there's one man, though, named Ken Imhoff, who years ago said, you know what? It's not enough for me just to celebrate the Lamborghini Countach. I'm going to build it in my garage from the ground up. It took him 17 years this man didn't know about building cars, so he researched and learned, and he built an exact replica—not even—he built a Lamborghini Countach by hand in his basement. He didn't have an exit plan, so he actually had to dig a hole from the outside uh, to get the car out after the fact. But 17 years in the making, I guess he maybe assumed I'd never actually get there. It became a, a national news story. Uh, the most recent. YouTube uh, explanation of the experience has something like 18 or 20 million views. Uh, He ended up selling the vehicle after building it for 17 years for $90,000 built in his garage as a kind of a part-time hobby. You see the difference between saying, oh, I'm for a ride in it. It sounds powerful and fun versus what does it take to produce one? Well, it takes years of blood and sweat and tears and research and work, and you realize that making something is very different than loving or enjoying something. And Jesus' word this morning to us is not blessed are the peace lovers or the peace keepers, the peace enjoyers. He is going to call us to something different and more and saying blessed are the peacemakers. makers." Now, if we're going to wrestle with this sort of hard work that he's calling us to, let's just first define terms. When he's talking about peace, he's not talking about the absence of bad things. Sometimes when we define peace, we think, well, it's stasis. It's when all the bad stuff is gone, and, and we go, okay, everything's good right now. It's this peace, the absence of bad. Peace is not the absence of bad. It's the presence of all that is good, that is holistic and together. It is... If it were, it's it's not a point, and it's not even a progressive line, but it's actually a circle. It's actually drawing a circle around all of the relational connections in one's life and saying, I'm looking for the fullness of good and what makes up the content and the context of these relationships. It's not a point, it's not a line, it's a circle. It's not the absence of bad things, it's the presence of all good things. And so what we realize is that often when a person is a peace lover, right? I'm a lover of peace. I just want to keep the peace. I love peace. That oftentimes, that sort of mindset is actually just piling up trouble for the future. Let's just keep the peace. I love peace. But not looking to produce and to make peace. You see, what we need to learn at the outset is this. Peace loving is easy. Peace making is hard. And this morning as we draw near to the wisdom of Jesus what we are going to hear from him is this God's family does the hard work of producing peace God's family does the really difficult lifelong intense work of producing peace of ushering it in of injecting it into the system So for our purposes what I want to do is talk about why is it that peacemaking is hard how do we do it and what comes when we do? Well, why is it that peacemaking is so hard? We read it in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, emphasis on makers, and we begin to wrestle with, okay, let's think about Jesus, the one who is teaching this. He is sketching out the good life, a life that ultimately he embodies as the great teacher. But if you survey his story and his ministry, what you will realize is this. Jesus' ministry was conflictual, tense. At one point, he even says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I'm not even going to divide families. Now, how could the man who says, blessed are the peacemakers, and who himself is an embodiment of that, say something like, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. That seems like it doesn't quite fit. And what we realize is this, that Jesus is blessing the the making of peace. And when we realize that it's a circle drawn around all of the relationships, and then we're asking, what would it take to insert multifaceted wholeness, to inject goodness and rightness into all of those relational connections? I want you to consider for a moment, if there were a circle drawn around you and all of the relational connections in your life, Friends, and family neighbors, coworkers all of them, all of them are there in your bounded set of relationships and if, if you were to sit and consider what would it take not just to avoid the bad things but to inject all of God's design for good things for every one of those relational connections if you were to consider that what would that require of you I think what we'd realize is this Some eggs would have to be broken to make the omelets. You know what I mean? What I've had to come to terms with is I've got a lot of relationships in my circle that over the years have been injected with tension and struggle, maybe intended or unintended, but there has been a relational wake at times that has caused strife. And there's this temptation to go, well, let's just keep the peace. Let's just keep the peace. Let's just let that lie right where it is. But peacemakers all of a sudden realize no we're actually called into the system to do an inject wholeness into that circle that we've drawn and that incidentally will mean that sometimes the peace that we have kept will be upended you follow this thin peace that we're going well let's just let's just keep the peace well peacemakers sometimes are conflictual they actually have to upend. They have to deal with difficulty they have to run to the place of brokenness and say what would it look like to to be a part of injecting wholeness here that Jesus in dealing with religious leaders that are marked by pride and are robbing others of of joy and wholeness and they are a part of his circle that he doesn't just say well let's keep the peace he says woe to you you've missed the whole point you've missed the mat the weightier matters now is he for peace or is he against peace in that moment He is the blessed peacemaker. And what he's realizing is if you're going to make peace, sometimes you're going to have to upend that kind of counterfeit peace that we've got on the system right now. You see, peacemaking is really hard because sometimes it calls us into conflict. It It calls us into tension spots. It calls us to be humbled, to take ownership for the places where we've hurt others. You see, peace making is hard peace loving is easy and god's family is called to the hard work of producing peace so so my question is this what does it take to produce peace in the world what does it really take and in order to examine that i'm going to invite you to actually flip somewhere else in your bibles if you've got your bibles would you flip with me to romans chapter 12 we're going to also have these verses printed on the screen, but there's four verses in Romans chapter 12 that I think will serve us as, in a sense, a blueprint. If we're going down into the basement and we're going to start working on not just enjoying and celebrating the kuntash, but producing it, building it. Not just saying, I'm for peace, but I'm going to create it. These are the blueprints for being peace producers. Romans 12, 17 to 21. And I think what will emerge are four simple steps that I just want to commend to you if we're going to be peacemakers in the world. So Romans 12, starting in verse 17, says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you hear it there? That's why this text, that's why we've run to this text, is that Paul is explaining how can you live peaceably with all, creating peace and wholeness where you go. He says, verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, in these few short verses, we get blueprints for being peacemakers. The first thing is this: four simple things. The first is this: don't react. Don't react. Look at verse 17 and 19. Did you hear it there? It says, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Those are sweeping statements. Repay no one evil, never avenge yourselves. What he's saying is this, that in the moment where peace is ruptured, in the moment where we need peace to be produced, where someone has mistreated you, Where a family member, there's a deep wound because of something that has happened in the past or in the way that they've spoken to you or to your spouse. You know, these moments where all of a sudden there's some rupture. The first step in being a peacemaker is don't react. Don't say, well, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to avenge. I'm going to balance this out. Ultimately, your non-reaction could just be spelled like this just stop talking. When you're really wounded and someone has mistreated you, stop talking, stop it. (laughs) We sometimes have this conversation in our home. I'm not going to name who, but sometimes there are people, smaller people in my home that sometimes I just need to say to them, just stop talking. It's not making things better, right? That when all of a sudden someone does something that you're unhappy with, there's part of you that just thinks, I'm going to avenge this. I'm going to make this right. I want you to feel the pain that I feel. Sit there until I can fully explain it to you, how you've wounded me, and I can get all of it out. Then it'll be okay. And sometimes we just need to stop talking. Stop talking to the person, trying to make them understand all of your hurt, trying to avenge it and make it right, and stop talking to everyone else about it. Just stop. Stop trying to avenge and to make it all right by the power of your words. You know, we need to stop talking to repay no one. And I'll I'll just, this is a tip. If your face is flushed and red, and your chest is tight, and you feel like you have a steel bar in your neck and shoulders, you're not thinking. You're not thinking in that moment. The emotion has flooded the system, and quite, quite literally, you've lost your mind. I've been there so many times, right? And we want to react out of that. I feel this, and I'm going to make it. You're not thinking straight. You have lost your mind. Literally, the part of your mind that is rational is no longer engaged. You are in fight or flight, and you're trying to avenge. You're trying to make it right. Stop talking in that moment. That's the first step. Don't react. Step two, if we're going to be peace producers, in verse 17, look at this. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He says, don't react. Second step is think, which takes some time to get back to thinking. Because you can't if your face is flushed and your chest is tight and you're ready to fight. You can't. So you need to stop talking, and then you need to think. And specifically, what he's calling us to do is to think about what is honorable. This is not always clear. It's not always easy to discern. Here's a few tools maybe to help you give thought. This is what the text is calling you to. Think about what is honorable. When, when someone has crossed you, when all of the emotions are raging, in order to actually re-engage thinking, it may require that you go for a walk. You may need to walk around the block. You may literally leave that space. You probably need to take 10 or 20 deep breaths, I recommend in the nose, out the mouth. Right? We're trying to get back to the point where I can re-engage the rational mind, which ultimately, if I'm reacting, I'm not doing. If I'm trying to avenge, I'm not doing. He's saying, give thought to what is honorable. So you walk, you breathe. You might need to go scream into a pillow. I don't know what your jam is. All I'm saying is you need to figure out how to get back to thinking. And in and through all of that, you need to pray and say, God, help me to think about what is honorable. One of the things that's very helpful is to, is to zoom out and to ask the question, what would yourself 10 years from now say about this interaction? Would they say, you know what would be great is if you go back and you kick them in the shins and you yell a lot, tell them you hate them and you never want to see them again. Would, your, would yourself 10 years from now commend that? No, they would go, Don't don't do that. I know that's what you want to do in this moment. Take a walk, breathe, and think about what is honorable. Think about what your best self years from now would would rejoice in and go, I'm so glad that in that moment I responded in that way rather than reacted out of all of the hurt. You see, we need to not react. We need to think about what is honorable. Three, look at verse 19. The third thing is this. You need to rehearse God's role. Rehearse God's role. Look at verse 19 with me. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see on the text, what I've highlighted for you is leave it. What a phrase. After he's saying, don't react, think, then he goes, leave it, because vengeance belongs to God. God's is vengeance. There's part of it. So listen, the reason that your chest gets tight and your face is flushed, it's not wrong. That might be the appropriate immediate response to an injustice to go this is not okay that's that's God's spirit at work in you that's you being made in his image looking at something that is broken the mistreatment of you or someone you love and going that's not the way it's supposed to be and that is an appropriate response to long for justice and to be upended and go this is not okay but the question is what are you going to do with that if you cling to that and you decide it is your job to balance the scales of justice to make everything right again listen it will cloud and potentially even destroy your soul to carry that around with you this text says leave it leave it to the wrath of God because vengeance belongs to God one of the things I've really wrestled with over the years as someone that affirms the inerrancy of scripture. I believe that the Bible is God's word to us, authoritative and beautiful and true in all of its ways. Now I gotta tell you, one of the places that that's been really hard to believe is the imprecatory Psalms. There are Psalms speckled throughout uh, in your Old Testament, right in the middle of the Bible, prayers of the people of God that are calling down curses on their enemies. And they're not like lighthearted curses, they're intense. And I've read these over the years, and I go, yes, I believe this is your word, God, but help me with this. How is it that we could look at a spirit-ordered prayer, and it's saying things like, God, break out the teeth of the wicked. Like, oof, that feels like not the way that I want to pray or think about God's word. Or God, destroy this next generation. Maybe their babies be killed, and you're like, that feels over the top. But one of the things I've come to realize is this. They're prayers. You you see, what we're being taught to do, I believe in the imprecatory Psalms, is leave it. To actually leave it with God. Not to dance around it and pretend it's not there, like, oh, let's just keep the peace. Let's pretend that you didn't deeply wound me and hurt the people that I love and that there wasn't a gross injustice here. There was, and it's not okay. But what are you going to do about it? You're going to carry it around with you for years, trying to make it right with your angry words and the way that you demean them when they're not here. Is that working? You see, the imprecatory Psalms invite us into this place where God's going, come to me and give it all to me. And not in your sweet, polished words, like in that moment where you're screaming into the pillow, where you need to go on a walk. He's going, take that moment and bring it right into my presence and give it all to me and then leave it there. Do You see, the beauty of the imprecatory Psalms is that God is giving us tools not to let that pollute our souls and carry it with us the rest of our lives. He's going, yeah, sometimes it's going to sound ugly in my presence. Why don't you give that to me and then leave it here? You see, Romans 12 says, leave it to the wrath of God because vengeance is his. One day, he will certainly balance the scales of justice. You can stop trying to do it. Don't react. Don't react think, rehearse God's role, and then lastly, actively inject wholeness into the system. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. It says this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good now we're, we're feeling this right that God's family is called to a hard work of producing peace and part of the hard work is not just trying to keep the peace but injecting wholeness into the place of brokenness which incidentally if we're still carrying it all around with us we can't do but if we leave it and we're shaped by God's presence in that place now we can start going okay what does it look like not just to sidestep or to avoid that person but to figure out how to bless them how to cover them over with kindness and goodness I'm thankful for the wisdom of Matt Silva. Many of you know Matt, and he's helped manage the this Joplin campus since we signed a lease on this campus. It's a 100-year-old school, which we love, and we're so thankful for the way that God has provided it for us but it's also a 100-year-old school. And so we inherited all the things that come with that. And as we've been trying to figure out how to make sure that it can be a a workable facility for us as a family in these years, uh, we've been working with St. Thomas while, while doing work on the property. And early on we made several missteps. I made several missteps. I was not making it easy on a relationship with St. Thomas, trying to figure out how we could get moved in. and, And they'd show up and things weren't where they were supposed to be. And they felt embarrassed in front of other people. Just moments where it was like, oh, that was totally my bad. And they would be right to just be frustrated. Like, what were we thinking in having these people as tenants? Well, Matt Silva was overseeing this whole process and he came into a meeting uh after one such occurrence and he said okay this is the deal we don't just need to say i'm sorry and it won't happen again we actually need to create as much energy and momentum in the opposite direction that's what we need to do so let's figure out we need to buy him a gift a gift that speaks directly to the thing that was frustrating for them and we need to let them know that we are so for you that we will go above and beyond to the point where they're going, whoa, 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 it really wasn't this big of a deal. And as we've done that, what he has done for us as a community, you need to pat him on the back and say thank you at some point, is that he has helped us to be really excellent neighbors to St. Thomas, whom we love. And as a result, I think, even behind closed doors, they would say they're really happy to have us. It was because of the wisdom of having a peacemaker in the midst that kept going. It's not just about saying, Oh, I'm really sorry that won't happen again, but going with full energy in the opposite direction to say, How do I continue to cultivate wholeness here? This text is saying, Not even when I'm the the one who's done wrong, but the one who, who, in a sense, has done wrong to me, and I go back and I overcome their evil with good in the opposite direction with energy and focus on how to pour out goodness. You see, we cannot just let sleeping dogs lie. That is not if we're God's family because God's family does the hard work of producing peace. We're not the sort of people that say, well, let's just let that sleeping dog lie. That where it is possible for us to live peaceably, the text says we need to do all that's within our capacity to live peaceably with all. Now, one side note. There are some relationships where you've done all that you can and they have made it clear it is not possible for us to live peaceably. Romans 12 makes Make space for that. Saying as far as it is is capable, and verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So there's only so much that depends on you, right? But have you done all that depends with you to live peaceably with all? This is the hard call to be God's family. You see, Jesus said, blessed are the, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We could say sons and daughters of God. They will be the children of God. You see, the blessing is this, that we will, in this, in this reality of starting to be peacemakers in the world, we will receive the blessing of being called the children of God. We will be looking like our Father. You see, when we consider this blessing that Jesus is speaking, what we need to realize is that this is not him calling us to something that is our action First this is our response. He's saying, I have done this first and most. That when we consider what it it takes to be a peacemaker, I want you to consider this reality that Jesus knew taking on flesh would be conflictual. He could have said, let's let sleeping dogs lie. We'll shrug at the brokenness with humanity and we'll just deal with the fact that we are not actually okay. There is a major rupture between humanity and God, and God could have said, you know what, let's just let it be what it is, we'll just play it out, and there will be this undertone of, of rupture and disunity because my heart and yours have been separated by the brokenness of sin. But what Jesus knew is that if I am going to produce peace and not just try to pull this thin veil over it, it is going to be conflictual. And he took on flesh and from the time he was born was that not the case? Do you remember Herod killing babies trying to chase Jesus? His parents having to flee to Egypt? As he grows into adult there's constant conflict against religion and brokenness and history as Jesus is is introducing the truth of God. And ultimately that conflict brings him into Passion Week where all of a sudden he is wrongly accused and put on trial and what did he do in that space? What did he do? He didn't react. He just stopped talking. That actually when they were hurling false accusations at him, a total rupture of justice, he didn't defend himself, but like a sheep led silently to the shearers, he said nothing. He just stopped talking talking and in that space he was thinking, he was meditating on the word of God, the word of God was spilling out of him even to the last moment, thinking about what is honorable, thinking about what myself an eternity from now will rejoice in and he didn't react, he thought and in that space of considering the glory of God, what I want you to, what I want us to realize is this because this is the hinge, right he didn't pray the imprecatory psalms over them and said I'm going to leave it there he drank the imprecatory psalms into his bones. And he said, I will actually drink the vengeance of God down so that it can be left for you. So that it can, be, it can be exhausted on me and never poured out on you. And then and only then in his resurrection glory and power, he could inject wholeness into the system and saying, there is now peace for you. If your faith is in me, you have peace with God forevermore. Do you see that Jesus made peace? He produced it in the world. And the beauty of being called into his family is that we now have the model and the power to do the same. I remember when I was a a kid, I was probably 12 years old, I got to go to a conference with my parents. I was the youngest of four by far. So my siblings had gone off to college and it meant that when my parents went to like a business meeting, they couldn't just leave me behind so I got to go on a lot, of, a lot of adventures that my older siblings didn't go on. And I remember we went to this one kind of fancy dinner and my parents got seated at a table way up front and there were only two seats and they seated me, the 12-year-old, at this table in the back. And I was sitting with all adults at this fancy dinner all dressed up and there were so many knives and forks and spoons. I was looking at other people trying to figure out when I was supposed to use them. And one of the favorite compliments I ever received... Spent that night trying to interact with these people, trying to act like I was knew what was going on. And at the end of the night, a guy that sat with me came up to my parents and he patted me on the shoulder and he said, "He really is his father's boy, isn't he?" It was twenty five years ago. I've never forgotten it. It was one of those moments where I was like, "Ah, I, I want that." As great as Paul Morris is, like I want people to look at me and go, "Ah, oh, that's that's his father's boy." The blessing in this text is not just that I get to look like Paul Morris. It's that you and I get to have an onlooking world go, oh, you really are your father's children, aren't you? like in a moment where the rupture of peace is the order of the day, where people that don't want to deal with the hard things and sidestep all the heartache and cancel culture and I'm done with you and I'm out, that all of a sudden there's this distinct people that have seen the work of Jesus and they have welcomed it into their lives and they say because of his power and his model, we say no to that. We don't just love it. We don't just like it. We make peace. We are God's family. And we make peace in the world in such a way that by his grace, an onlooking world would say, you really are your father's children, aren't you? You see, God's family does the hard work of making peace. Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, thank you. Thank you that when we were at odds with you, you didn't wash your hands of us. Oh, and please, by the power of your spirit, would you convict every soul in here that has been tempted to wash their hands of someone in their life right now. You didn't do that for us. And I pray that as we receive your grace, that we wouldn't do that for others, God. That we wouldn't wash our hands of people that have wounded us or mistreated us that we wouldn't carry that bitterness around, letting it pollute our souls. Make us people who don't just love peace, but who, who produce it. I'm begging that for this community. And God, I pray for any, any men or women that are in this room right now that have yet to trust Jesus as their Savior. If that's you right now, would you just, would you just consider the great and good news That God so loved you that He came for you. He so badly wanted peace with you that He was willing to pay the price for you. Becoming a Christian is as simple as admitting your sin and believing that Jesus is a Savior and confessing Him as the Lord of your life. I would invite you to meditate on that, to consider even taking that step today. God, would you make it true that we're a family who makes peace in the world for your glory? and for our blessedness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.